Philippians 1, verses 6 to 11. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Lord, we come to you now expecting to hear from you, wanting and yearning to hear from you and to be close to you and to draw near to you. So God, as we meditate on this text, would you help us focus? Would you help us run to the fountain of living water? For, Lord, we are thirsty, and we are thirsty for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You're a little blurry now because I don't have my glasses. I want to try to sell my glasses. The Christian walk is a life filled with joys and trials. It is a constant journey of ups and downs as we try to please God, as we try to flee from sin, share the gospel, and so on. However, the Christian life, it can get discouraging sometimes. Am I right? It can be discouraging when we do not see fruit in our lives or we don't see fruit in our ministry. Thankfully, the Bible is filled with promises that we can take and hold on to to give us comfort and assurance in our Christian faith. And we see one of those promises here in Philippians 1. A promise that maybe some of you or maybe all of us need to hear today. In verse 6, it says, He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is a promise that is true today, not only today, but all the time. But it is a promise that sometimes we don't feel. Sometimes we don't believe that we're going to make it. But it is a promise that we need to hold on to, that he who has begun the work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is a precious promise that Paul is telling the Philippian church. This text assures the Philippian church and it, it reveals to them how it's going to end. How it will play out. And the assurance in verse 6 reveals to us that the end is going to be good. It's going to be beautiful. And it will be pleasing to the Lord. But the question that might arise when we consider the fact that God will complete the work is that, how does this, what does this look like? 
How does God work in playing this out? First of all, what does it even mean to be complete? When we think about the idea of to be complete, you can think of, well, completion, or and to be complete is to be perfect, perfection. And another word is glorification. Right? And to... Un- I'm going to use that word glorification try to, uh, to uh, try to unpack what that means and, and compare it to another word called sanctification. If our understanding of sanctification is that sanctification is the process of God making us holy and conforming us into His likeness, glorification is the final complete step of being made into His likeness. When the believer has passed on from this earthly life and comes before God and you get glorified and you receive your glorified bodies. Glorified bodies. I know some of you just even thinking about glorified bodies are getting excited. Just thinking about, man, what is my glorified body going to look like? Am I going to have the six pack right here? No more belly. Um, For us guys, you might be thinking, I could eat food without gaining weight. I mean, maybe girls might be thinking that too. But for us guys, you're probably thinking that your glorified bodies will have 12 packs and uh, you'll be 6'2 and you'll have these huge shoulders and these big arms and you'll look like Dwayne The Rock Johnson when he was like 25, not how he is right now. But, but, that, but in reality, but how is this process done? It isn't that God would miraculously make us holy on the last day um, and that once we are saved, all we have to do is just sit on the couch until we die and just wait for the Lord to return and then we get our glorified bodies. That's not how it works. Church, I want to share to you what glorification is not. What it is not. By by telling you a story. A story story in, in... World War II times, about a man named Steve Rogers. You might have heard of this guy. He, he, he was prominent in, during World War II, and Steve had many health and physical problems, for he was a frail young man. He was very skinny, no muscles, not at all. He's really weird looking, but he wanted to fight in World War II. And he wanted to help so bad that he participated in this experiment that changed his physical stature, giving him super strength and changing his body and basically becoming a super soldier. Steve Rogers then used his newfound powers to save the world. He was an American hero. He became a captain. Some would call him Captain America. And the rest is history. But no, that's not how it's going to work. We're not going to just be this frail young man and then this experiment happens and boom, we're this strong, strong man and can do anything. In a sense, at the end of the day, when we die, we will get glorified bodies. But no, it's a process. There is no instant change. When you become a believer, it is a process until you will be finally perfected. It is a process of sanctification and growth. And by the way, that was a a fake story that Steve Rogers didn't exist. That's the story of Captain America, if you guys didn't know. (laughs) He's got that? Okay, good. (laughs) And this is Paul's intention in this text. 
the way God glorifies you and completes you is not by you standing still and doing nothing. The way God works in you is by you growing continuously. It is shown in what God has been working in you already. And this is the main point of our text today. The main point of our text today is that we can be sure that God will complete you on the last day because of the progress of God today. Let me say that again. We can be sure that God will complete us on the last day because of the progress of God today. And, and the first point we're going we're gonna to see in that is this. That we can be sure that God has, God, God has completed us through what He has done and is continuing to do. We can be sure that God has completed us through what He has done and what He is continuing to do. And this is Paul's intention in the text. To explain the relationship of our completion in relationship with our progress and growth today. Remember, last time I preached, I covered verses 1 to 5, and it talked about Paul's remembrance and and thankfulness for the church of Philippi. Remember, he was thanking God for them, for remembering him, for their partnership in the gospel, and everything that they're doing in their ministry. But Paul writes in verse 6 that, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it on the day of Christ. And he writes this because the church needed to hear that the growth in their sanctification that was seen throughout their participation in the gospel was actually God's work. And because it is God's work and it's God who is the one doing it, you can rest assured that he will complete it. And Paul was seeing fruit and growth in the Philippian church and he believed that that progress would continue and was sure that God would increase it. He would increase the progress. He would increase the growth. He would continually develop the work that was happening in the Philippian people's lives, in the Philippians' lives, and that God would eventually finish the work. Paul is so confident that God has been working in their lives that in verse 7 that he says that his thinking about them is right. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. And Paul has seen the work done in the lives of the people and the evidence of God's grace in them. So you ought to rest assured as well that we need to rest assured in God's work in us through the the evidence of grace that we are seeing already in our lives. So, as a church family, as we see patterns of growth in our lives or in other people's lives, if if we see patterns of growth in fighting sin, in Bible reading, in discipleship, in gospelizing. Like even even right now, as we've been here in prayer meeting, we're sharing stories of the people that we want to reach out to and the people that we want to read with. And even being here is an evidence of God's grace. And And as we do these things and live life together, let's point it out to each other. This is, this is evidence of God's grace that He will complete us. However, as we deal with the idea that God is going to complete us and is working in us and wrestle with our role in this, 
our role in our growth, we must confront the tension that the tension that's found in there. There's a tension because we are raised growing up with phrases such as once saved, always saved, where we can get the idea that our initial salvation is the only thing that matters. When in reality, as Christians, we need to continue to press on, to grow in our faith. And yes, biblical texts like John 10, 28, where where it says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And Romans 8, 38, 39 says, For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, no height nor depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Are those things not true? They're true. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No one can snatch us out of the hand of God. And thankfully, our salvation is not found in our works, but on the finished work of Christ. But there is an importance of how we live today. What we do with this faith. And the Bible says that as well. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. And Colossians 1 says, But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If, indeed, you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. You see, both of these ideas are true. God saves us and makes us holy, but we also work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we need to continue to pursue growth and pursue holiness in our lives. Believers are held responsible for their spiritual conduct and at the same time needing to rely solely on God's grace to meet that obligation. And this is known as the relationship between human responsibility and divine sovereignty. The question that we might ask now regarding our glorification, is our glorification now conditional? Meaning that it is, we'll, it'll only happen based on if certain things happen in our lives? And Kevin DeYoung tries to answer this question, and he says that it, it's both. But he also says that the word conditional does not have to carry the sense of merit or uncertainty. A condition is simply a requirement that must be met or a state of affairs that must come to pass if a certain event or outcome is to be realized. To say something is conditional is to say nothing about how the condition is met or whether there is any doubt the condition will be fulfilled. He later says, we cannot live like the devil and expect to meet God. This is not because God demands a set number of holiness points before we can enter heaven. We are justified by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. And this grace that grants us faith will invariably be a grace that causes us to change and keeps us in the love of God. That's the key there. The saving faith that we receive, um, the saving faith that we receive at initial salvation is the agent of, that is going to cause the change in us to follow God's commands and obey Him today and to grow in Him today. And it is the agent that will eventually work in us to completion. 
So now that we see that Paul's confidence in God's completion is based on God, and also the evi- that evidence that is already seen in the people's lives, we see that Paul doesn't pray that we trust in God and do nothing. In verse 9, if you look with me, Paul prays that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Another translation says that their love will keep growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. So think about this. Paul says in verse 6 that I am assured that God will complete, well, God who has started a work in you will complete it at the last day. And then in verse 9, he's praying that, that the Philippian church would grow in these certain things, that their love will grow in knowledge and discernment. So he sees that there is a connection between there. He knows that God's going to do the work, but he's still praying for them to grow. And, and this leads, leads us to our, our second point today, which is be sure that God has completed you by growing in knowledge and discernment. Be sure that God has completed you by growing in knowledge and discernment. And this is our application going forward, is that our love would grow in knowledge and every kind of discernment. So what does this mean? What does it mean for our love to grow in knowledge and every kind of discernment? First off, what does it mean for our love to grow in knowledge? John Calvin says in his Institutes that all of knowledge can be stemmed up in two realms. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. Meaning that we learn more about ourselves and others as we dive into the knowledge of God and who he is. You see, God is the one who creates us in his image and in his likeness. And as we push ourselves to understand who he is, the fact that he is infinitely beautiful and greater than anything else, it should reveal to us who we are and that we are finite, imperfect, wicked people. And as we push ourselves to know who he is and gaze and and just be there in his presence and be there and growing more about him, it should push us to want more of him, to linger and to rest and wait in his presence. And Paul's, Paul's idea of knowledge is fairly similar. See, Paul's knowledge of God was based on everything he knew about God in the Old Testament. And for Paul... To know God meant to be in the clo- for to know God means to be in a close relationship with Him. It means to acknowledge everything He's done throughout history, to obey His commands, and to trust in Him. So to, to sum it up, to grow in knowledge, and to grow in the knowledge of God that's is to, is is a knowledge that gives us an understanding of who He is. So to know Him to obey Him, and to trust Him. And with this knowledge, lead, this growth in knowledge leads us to the second thing that Paul prays for, which is discernment. You see, the growth in knowledge certainly leads us to growth in discernment and, and in the way we deal with other people. Amen. Growing in God should lead us to the way we talk with one another, Say a situation happens at work where you're faced with a boss who wants you to do something unethically. 
This is where you use your discernment. And the knowledge of God and knowledge of and everything that you're learning about Him and what He's doing in you, this is where you show your discernment. It, it plays out in the way you deal with people and the decisions that you make. You see, this was Paul's prayer and desire, that the people would grow in love in knowledge and discernment. And he doesn't pray for these certain things, doesn't pray for growth in these areas because the church is lacking in them. But he prays for these things because the church is already doing them. The church is already growing. Their, their love is already growing in knowledge and discernment. But he prays for more of it so that their love, that their knowledge and discernment would overflow. And, and Paul's desire and reasoning for this prayer is found in verse 10 and 11. He prays for these things because the reason he prays for these things is found in 10 and 11. It says this, So that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The, pur- the purpose of their growth was so that they'd be able to distinguish and discern the really important issues in their lives together. And the goal was always so that they could be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. This was always the goal. The goal. Sorry. Grow in the love of knowledge and discernment. Grow in wisdom. Grow in holiness. Sanctification. So that you can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Basically, Paul tells them that, that he is assured that God will complete the work that he has done in them, but yet he prays that, they, that the people would grow in these things so that God would complete the work that he has done in them. He says, he says he prays that they would be pure and blameless at the day of Christ. He's basically praying for them, praying for their completion. Pure and blameless basically means the same thing as that you'd be complete at the end. You see, Paul's assurance that God would finish the work is not separate from his desire for the people to grow in these areas. Paul knows that our glorification begins with our sanctification. And the way for us to prepare to be complete at the end, the way for us to prepare to be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, is to prepare to be pure and blameless now and today. Grow in knowledge and discernment today. And he says in verse 11 that they, would be, that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And how are we to be filled with the fruit of righteousness at the end? It's to be bearing fruit today. You need to bear fruit now. So what is the application to us, the church? What does it mean for us to grow in knowledge and discernment? What does it mean for us to prepare well? Church, we grow by spending time together in God's word. Reading with one another. Sharing the gospel to one another. Sharing gospel truths to your neighbors. Gospelizing non-Christians by fighting sin together, confessing sin, 
forgiving one another, praying together, encouraging and stirring one another up. We do all these things so that we can prepare ourselves to be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. And this is something that God is already the one, he is the, he's the one doing it in us. John Piper says in his book, Future Grace, what basically gives us a, a picture of what it means, um, what, our sa- what our saving faith looks like. He says this, that by its nature, saving faith loves God and delights in God as the sum of all that could ever satisfy the soul. Saving faith is humble because by nature it despairs of self and looks to God. Saving faith draws near, draws near to God and cries out to God and waits for God and takes refuge in God and trust in God and hopes in God. Because the essence of faith is to see and embrace God and God alone as the sum of all it will ever need. And saving faith trembles at the thought of offending such a great God through disbelief in his promises. And if you're, if you're a non-Christian here today, you, you're probably confused and puzzled by big words like glorification and sanctification and ideas like God making us complete. But the only reason us those who believe in Christ, desire for God to complete the work is because we know that we, as human beings, are incomplete. And the only reason we desire to be pure and blameless on the last day is because we know we are far from it. In fact, we're the opposite. We're defiled and full of blame. And I believe deep down, you know that as well. But thankfully, there's hope. And that hope is found in Jesus Christ. Because Christ has come down, the Son of God, to make dirty people clean. Christ comes on earth, takes upon the sins of man, sins he didn't commit, but takes the punishment for that sin on the cross. He takes upon the full wrath of God. He rises again from the grave three days later, and ascends to heaven. And for those who repent and trust in Him, Christ washes their sins away. You see, sin has left the crimson stain, but Jesus washes us white as snow. So that, for the non-Christian, the promises of Philippians 1.6, that God will complete the work that He has started, can apply to you as well if you repent and trust in Jesus Christ. My friend Marshall Siegel writes this regarding this promise of Philippians 1.6. He says that, that God, by His unrivaled infinite power, will one day remedy everything wrong about you. Now you are counted perfect through faith in Jesus. Then you will be presented perfect with no sin, no shame, no guilt, no doubt, no fear, and nothing broken about you. So church, to close, I am certain that he who has started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus.
but the assurance that we have on the last day is also based on the work that God is doing in progressing us today. So we need to keep striving to keep running the race. Keep pressing on, encouraging one another to keep going on with the prize in mind. Pick each other up when we're discouraged. Encourage one another so that our love will grow in knowledge and discernment. We need to keep going as a church family. Don't stand idle, closing our eyes, waiting for the day to God for God to perfect us. But actually open your eyes even wider. Lean on his promises. Lean on his word to fuel you to keep persevering and clinging to him. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And as we await our glorified bodies and as we talked about yearning for those those physical bodies, right? Those glorified physical bodies. It is also an amazing thing in the fact that morally and spiritually we'll be perfected as well. And John Piper says that the great thing about our glorification is that it will be a place of infinite moral and spiritual glory. The main beauty will be the beauty of holiness. We will be holy. And that is an amazing thing. I'll close it one more quote, since John Piper says it a lot better than me. This is my encouragement for you guys. He says... Therefore, be amazed and sobered that this life is not just a waiting, waiting period for that day. You are being changed now from one degree of glory to another. You are being glorified, that is, you are being sanctified. That is, you are being made morally glorious for the age to come. And all this is for the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. God, what a great promise that is found in Philippians 1. That the work that you started in us, you will complete it. And God, I don't know all the things that are happening in everyone's lives, but Lord, there are days where the discouragement can run deep and it could overwhelm. But Lord, I pray that we take comfort in the fact that you are working in us. Not not just at the end, but you're already working in us now. And that you've been working in us. And that you will always work in us till you complete the work. So God, we need your help in, in growing. We need your help in, in fighting the good fight. In continuing the race. So I pray that you would help us now trust in your promises, trust in what you've done through, done for us through the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that we, we would just rest and desire to grow in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.